0: This morning, we are in uh, John chapter 20, um, verses 19 to 23. Um, So, I'm going to read for you. Uh, If you want to follow along in your Bible, feel free. Um, The words will also appear on the screen. Jesus appears to his disciples. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Um, if you'll bear with me, I would like to do a little exercise this morning, not like physical exercise, but like a little activity. Um, so if we all sit sit up straight um, in our chairs and just relax our shoulders, we're going to do a little breathing activity. So we're going to breathe in quietly through our nose for four seconds. We're going to hold it for seven seconds and then we're going to breathe out quite forcefully through our mouths for eight seconds. Hopefully, sorry, this is hopefully COVID friendly, um, but I presume everybody's looking out for each other, you know, live, laugh, lateral flow, etc. So sit up straight, relax your shoulders and I'm going to really count properly so i'm hoping it'll be accurate seconds wise so okay we're breathing in for one two three four we're holding it five six seven eight i can't hold and we're breathing out one two three four five Six, seven, eight. I actually did that wrong, so we're going to do it again. Breathe in. One, two, three, four. Hold. Six, five, four, three, two, one. Out. Seven, six, five, four, three. Two, one. How are we feeling? Good, okay. Apparently that's good for relaxation. It's supposed to send you to sleep as well, so I don't know if that's a good idea before we start. I was going to have like a, a holding your breath competition, but then I was worried people would collapse, but then I was like, I'm preaching on the Holy Spirit, so people would be like, the Spirit really moved there. They were dropping like flies, but I didn't. I chose this instead. Um, so... <laughs> I did that weird because I think sometimes we can, not when Dave speaks, but when I speak, we can hear something on a Sunday morning and then forget about it during the week. So that's our little reminder. We can think, strange woman made us do a breathing technique because this morning we're talking um, about breath. So this is the third and the final session in our three-week teaching series on the Holy Spirit. And I'm not going to lie, I... I think I got the short straw when I was asked to speak on this topic, okay? So Dave spoke in week one about the Holy Spirit as gift. Pretty nice, alright, gift. I like it. Week two, Dave spoke on the Holy Spirit as fire. Okay. Flame emoji. Pretty good. This week I have been allocated the Holy Spirit as breath. Doesn't sound as appealing, does it? No. And um, when I was preparing this morning, obviously it's John 20, um, and the idea of breath comes from verse 22, where Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, Um, I thought of something immediately. So, hands up if you've ever done the Alpha Series. Okay, quite a few people. So, if you've done the Alpha Series, there is a Holy Spirit weekend, and sometimes... Different speakers can come and deliver talks, but often they will use the Alpha videos. They have pre-recorded videos. And there is a pre-recorded video for the Holy Spirit Weekend, where uh, an artist, Charlie Mackesy, you'll probably recognize him from The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, and The Horse. He's the illustrator for that. He's now a Christian, but he appears in these videos talking about a time when he wasn't a Christian. And he went to the Alpha Weekend, Um, And there was a Holy Spirit weekend, and he said that his leader came up to him and said, can I pray for you, please? And he said, no, thanks, not for me. And then the next day, his leader asked him again, please, can I pray for you? And he said in the video that he really didn't want him to, but he also wanted him to leave him alone. So he said, yes. And I thought he said this, and I thought, no, surely he didn't say that about his leader. So I went and looked up the video, and he did this is a direct quote. He prayed for me, and the first word he said was, Lord. And clearly, he had been eating kippers for breakfast because they got a waft of fish, which was a poor start. Later on in the video, he goes on to say that they were now good friends. I don't know about you, but if somebody said in a video that was then circulated globally to thousands of people that I, when I prayed for them, I breathed a waft of kippers, I don't think that I would still be friends with them. But grace abounds, okay. So if you want to be like Jesus... And breathe on somebody to receive the Holy Spirit. One thing to remember this morning is you might want to tick a wee tic-tac or something, okay? Um, so I'm joking about breath being kind of like this gross thing, but um, I'm actually really glad that I've been asked to speak on the Holy Spirit as breath this morning because it's actually a really beautiful concept. Um, and if you think back to the breathing exercise that we did probably not very well but we did it anyway um i think that it's really reflective of our walk with the holy spirit so if you um think breathing is something that we do daily subconsciously it's the first thing that we do when we're born it sustains us it keeps us alive but we're not always conscious of it right but when we stop and think about it And we're conscious of it, of how we inhale and exhale, we can um, be revived and we can be restored um, and it can bring us peace. And if we're followers of Jesus, the spirit is always at work in our lives, like we're always breathing. Um, But it's good to stop and think about how this breath is at work in our lives and how we can be attuned to it and what it means in our walk with God, how we're using it to revive us and bring us peace and keep us restored. Okay. Okay. So we've just read the words of Jesus um, breathing on his disciples and saying receive the Holy Spirit in John 20 and that's kind of where we're anchoring our teaching this morning. But everything that Jesus does in the Gospels is rooted to what has come before. It's rooted to what Jesus, what God has promised um, and how God has been at work throughout history. Um, But the things Jesus teaches are also for his followers thereafter so they're relevant to us today. So just in keeping with that, I want to start off by looking at the concept of breath and God as breath before Jesus comes on the scene in the Old Testament, and then we'll look at John 20, and then we'll look at how it applies to us today. Does that sound okay? It's a bit late if it doesn't, because I've already written this, so. Um, so the Greek word for breath um, that's used when Jesus breathes on the disciples is pneuma, Right? Um, But obviously, the Old Old Testament is written in Hebrew, and the word that we have for it is ruach, right? I think that it's actually more glottal. I think it's like ruach, but we've all suffered enough this morning. I've talked about mackerel, and I'm literally going to say the word ruach about 90 times, so I'm not going to do that. So, ruach, right? Um, And it's pretty difficult to avoid. It's not kind of an unusual term, but it's integral to... Bible as a whole, because we only have to open the first page to see it written. So Genesis chapter one, in the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Or we could say um, God's ruach was hovering over the waters. Okay? So the same word for spirit is the word for breath, ruyak. And what exactly is this ruyak doing? Now, you may have heard the to- term uh, tohu va vohu. It sounds like um, the vegan special on a brunch menu, but it's not. It's a biblical term for the state of things before the creation of light, right? So some people would be inclined to think that this means kind of nothingness or avoid, but a lot of biblical scholars actually think that this means chaos or disorder. Um, so what this ruyak is doing is it's coming into chaos, and it's bringing about order and life. Um, some would say that God was like, let's ruyak and rule." So I don't think you actually heard that, because it's quite funny, and hardly anybody laughed, but... Anyway, um, this energy doesn't just create. Um, In a Hebrew context, it also has a rich meaning. So we read it on page one, but we also read it um, throughout the Bible. Thank you, Lusty. Um, Throughout the Bible. Um, So hold your hand in front of your mouth and say something. Something. Say mackerel. Okay, like you feel something, you feel a breath. But if you were to look out the window and see trees moving, that would also be Ruach. So this is Ruach, wind is Ruach. And these two things have something in common. They animate, right? And they're invisible. Um, And to borrow the words of Tim Maggie, Ruach is a way of talking about how God is personally present in orchestrating his world. So although we've separated all these words kind of today, it's kind of like uh, wind, breath, life, all of these things are tied together. Um, So the same energy that hovered over the waters, turning chaos into order, also is the animating life energy that sustains all living things. So that includes humans. And to complicate things even further, in Hebrew, Ruach could not only mean God's spirit, but it could mean human spirit, so your spirit. Um, so, although you were made through Ruach, you had your own Ruach. So, you had your own spirit. But your own spirit um, kind of means your mindset or your frame of mind um, or your consciousness. And we all know that our frame of minds or mindsets aren't always the same as God's. So, our Ruach isn't necessarily. Um, in line with God's react, Are you still with me? Okay. Okay. All right. Um, so this word encompasses quite a lot, um, but we also see that God um, aligns His react with other people in the Bible. Um, so we see God using it to empower people. He joins His react with cho- chosen individuals. Um, to do unusual things. So you might think of Joseph. So God's spirit comes upon Joseph and he's able to interpret dreams, something that people normally wouldn't be able to do through their own spirit. Um, Or as Dave talked about in week one, we've got Bezalel who makes the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, The spirit, or Ruach, comes upon him to make him creative. Um, And we have other leaders like Moses and prophets um, who God empowers through his spirit. These people do things that are out of the ordinary. And God is showing that while the same order and beauty that he created at the beginning is disrupted um, with the fall, that our own spirits don't always align with his, he has not given up on us. And that he wants to speak through and move through individuals by his breath. Um, But in addition to the Ruach, there's so many Ruachs, that create and empower, we see individuals hoping for kind of a new spirit entirely, one that recreates. Um, and this is alluded to in Psalm 51, you know, famously when David seeks a renewed spirit, or later on, or when Moses says that he wishes that everyone could be prophets. Um, and we see this most clearly. We see that this promise, this kind of new breath, in Ezekiel thirty-six and thirty-seven, where God is promising this renewal of Ruach, God says He's going to give a new heart and a new spirit and a new covenant to his people. I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my Ruach within you, and it will come because you it will cause you to obey my statutes and observe my laws. In a picture in Ezekiel thirty-seven. It's a valley of dry bones, so things are long dead. And the Spirit of the Lord asks the question, Son of man, can these bones come to life? And the Lord says, I will breathe in you and you will come to life. Tim Maggie explains that Ezekiel envisions that the only way that human, humankind is ever going to be fully alive to God and love God and love neighbor is if the ruach is recreated in them, specifically their heart. God is saying, I will put a new ruach or new breath in you. It's my ruach, and it will transform your heart and consequently your entire value system. That promise comes to fruition in the Gospels. So this is where we're up to. Um, John 20, our whistle-stop tour tour, um, of all the kinds of ruach, I... We'll try not to say that word too much anymore. Um, So Jesus says, uh, receive the Holy Spirit, and he breathes on them. So he breathes this react. But what does it mean in our lives? What does it look like tangibly? So Jesus says two main clues here, okay? The first one is, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So God sends Jesus in the Spirit, So, the disciples and us are consequently being sent in the Spirit. So, what does that mean? Well, in Isaiah 61, we're foretold what the Spirit would do and did do through Jesus. So, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of despair. This new breath is a new value system and we're being breathed into to reorder the value system of this earth With God's kingdom. So we're called to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set freedom to the captives, right? We get this react, this breath of spirit to do the same. God wants us to be containers for his Holy Spirit that pour out and reorder things in his kingdom way. And the second interesting thing that Jesus says is this, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven, right? This is probably one of the most theologically disputed teachings of Jesus. So thanks again, Dave, for giving me this. (laughs) But what on earth does it mean, right? So we obviously haven't got the authority to forgive people's sins in the same way, the same total way that, that Jesus can. But in the gospels, Jesus was always getting into trouble, right? He was always getting into trouble for doing things that he could only do if he was a qualified priest in the temple and he promises that this spirit um, will be for his followers Um, and then he says uh, now you do it now you do what I have done people should experience the power of forgiveness just by being in proximity to you if you have the Spirit in you. Because the presence and power of the Spirit of God that you've seen and work in Jesus is now at work in you. Does God's Spirit working through you to proclaim the good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives in whatever context that looked like, seem like it could be a reality to you in whatever context that would look like in your life just think right now about all those things they're kind of abstract terms but in your life in your context right now binding up the brokenhearted bringing good news to the poor what does that look like and does it seem like it could be a reality to you does it feel like people could experience the power of forgiveness by being in proximity to you because the presence of power of God is at work in you, the same presence is at work in Jesus. So I know our church family is continually growing, right? Um, but I just want to say that there's so many people here that I feel tangibly carry the Spirit of God. There's so many people that have spoken into my life and encouraged me. There's so many people that serve week in, week out doing things behind the scenes, doing things on the Sunday morning. There's people who I know personally, and I know that when they go into their work, whether they're doctors or teachers or whatever they do, that they are breathing God's spirit and they're doing all these things. Um, So I just want you to be encouraged by that. I just want that to be encouragement, that there's so many people here who carry that Ruach. But um, I've been really challenged this morning as to whether that's happening in my own life. Um, And I don't know about you. um, But I just wanna think more about how we can make that happen, how we can foster um, this Ruach life. Um, Hands up if you know this pug. Does anybody know him? Okay, so this little dog has gone viral on the internet over lockdown, I'm obsessed. Um, during the pandemic, his owner would post daily videos of him and he's called Noodles the Pug. And every morning he would lift Noodle up. And if Noodle stood on his bed, it was a bones day, right? And what a bones day meant is it was a really good day. Things were gonna go well. You were gonna absolutely smash your to-do list you were going to be full of beans the day you're going to seize it right but quite often his owner would lift him and noodles would just collapse back down in the bean bag and that's ladies and gentlemen what we call a no bones day and really you just have to look after yourself on a no bones day there's not much being done right and Uh, Myself and a friend of mine, won't name them to embarrass them, Gillian Keane. we used to message each other every day and be like, is it a Bones Day or no Bones Day? Because Niddle lives in the States, so we weren't finding out whether it was a Bones Day or no Bones Day until about noon. And then we would anticipate whether it was a Bones Day or not, if there's no Bones in this day at all, should we know it? it was not a Bones Day? Not a thing has been done. Or if we felt really energized, we would know that it was a Bones Day. This is a quote from a Rolling Stones article, just so you get a little idea of kind of what a sensation Noodle was. The thirteen year old dog has become known globally as a bellwether for the national mood, thanks to his owner, Jonathan Grisarnio, making TikToks determining whether he will be it will be a Bones Day. Noodle's TikTok account has gone massively viral, spawning parody songs, including a sea shanty, and tweets from various brand accounts. Louisiana Governor even posted a video inspired by Noodle urging people to get vaccinated. Many have argued that Noodle serves as a welcome distraction from the general feeling of malaise and burnout currently plaguing the nation post-pandemic. You never knew what you were going to get. Sometimes it was going to be a bones day, but most of the time because Noodle's is a 13-year-old dog, it was a no bones day <clears throat> this is probably the most tenuous and theologically flimsy analogy that has ever been spoken on this stage Henry Cook is quick <laughs> but does anyone feel like they are in a no bones season right with holy spirit or probably thinking more theologically in Ezekiel like a dry bones season um So we get this beautiful picture in Ezekiel of God breathing his life into dry bones, right? It's not just bones. It's not just dead. They're dry bones. Like, they've been there a long time. Whatever's dead has been dead for a very long time. Any hope of life at all has gone. And I feel for some of us this morning, there's an aspect of ourselves or our lives, um, our struggles or our hopes that haven't yet come to fruition that we've tucked away for so long that it feels like they're far too far gone to be restored by the Spirit. And I just want to simply tell you this morning that that's not true. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I actually think it's not the idea of a move of a Spirit of God that I find hard to fathom. Like if you told me that God can breathe his Spirit into this city, right, and that broken people can be restored, and that lots of people can come to faith in Jesus. I, I would say that I believe that. I don't know about you. But sometimes it's harder to believe that God would use you to be part of doing that. That it can happen, but it's not necessarily going to be anything to do with or related to you. That God wouldn't want to use you as a vessel with that because, to be quite honest, you feel so overwhelmed or just embarrassed or fatigued of how we haven't seen him at work in our own mess. How are we going to, how are we expected to going to be going out into the world to transform the world, breathing life and speaking hope when our own relationships are painful and strained or when you feel continually overwhelmed, I don't know, by a terrible work environment. Maybe you're not where you thought you would be in your life right now. You don't want God's spirit to work in your life. You just want a completely different life or a set of circumstances. And that's so draining for your spirit. Or maybe you feel like a terrible parent or spouse or just a terrible Christian. Maybe every day is a battle with your self-worth and how you see yourself. Maybe you're consciously um, or subconsciously consumed um, with what other people think about you. Well, firstly, um, we're not called to have it all together. We live in the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God, right? So when God breathes his ruach into us, it's part of breaking God's kingdom in. So that's going to be messy and things aren't going to be 100% right all the time. Things are messy, life is messy, and we're not called to be perfect, but we're literally just called to be available. And secondly, God wants his spirit to be at work in all your personal stuff, just as much as he wants to work on the larger scale things. It's really problematic that we separate them. We think our own personal circumstances aren't as important as kind of the big picture stuff. God is working through us, so he wants to work in us before he sends us out. So let him. This has been really challenging for me. So I have two suggestions going forward about how we can welcome or access this breath. Um... Of the spirit more, if we are feeling in our dry bones season. Um, so, this is advice for me as much as for anyone else in the room. Um, and we could do a list of 101 things, but I'm not going to. Um, I'm just going to focus on two quickly. So, the first one is consistency. It's very easy in all this talk about the word ruach, I said I wouldn't say it, once there, I've just said it again, um, to misinterpret the Holy Spirit is simply a force, right? So we kind of think of it as like a Star Wars thing or like a superpower that we can just pick up and put down uh, whenever we need it. Uh, But while the Holy Spirit has a force, it's not simply just a force, right? The Holy Spirit is a person. You'll have picked that up from the whole series. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, How well do you know somebody if you don't spend time with them or if you don't spend time in their presence? The Holy Spirit speaks. They testify. They comfort. And they advocate. The Holy Spirit works almost like a translator, right? Because they reaffirm everything that the Father says. And uh, it translates things on a heart level So we can read the Bible and we can know things and we we can think that they're true, but something completely different happens when the Holy Spirit translates that, um, so we have a heart understanding of that. And in understanding who the Spirit is, we understand in turn who we are. Um, Through the one that comforts us and advocates for us and translates to us on a heart level, um, We know the things that God affirms about us, that we are chosen and that we are deeply loved. The poet Mary Oliver once wrote that attention is the beginning of devotion. And to know the Holy Spirit more simply begins with setting our attention on them, right? This is really difficult when we have like 101 things um, grappling for our attention. In his book *Live No Lies*, John Mark Comer writes that the average millennial—I actually think there's quite a lot of Gen Z now. I feel very old, but (laughs) the average millennial spends 2,800 hours a year consuming digital content, but only 153 of that is Christian-based content. These are Christian millennials. What's the first thing you do in the morning? I check the pollen count, if you know, you know, and then I see whether a dog has collapsed in a beanbag or not, but I can imagine that you look at your phone as well, scroll through, have a look at all the noise that's happening online, maybe look for affirmation somewhere. Um, But I was thinking, if I was more intentional about my rhythms, and what I let have my attention and my time, how would I feel differently? Or how would I feel more open uh, to God working for his spirit breathing in my life differently? John Mark Comer goes on to write, this is our responsibility to turn our attention to God to all through our days and weeks, to think of him, to think of him deeply and rightly of him in line with Jesus's vision of God as a Trinitarian community of self-giving, creative, generous, calm, loving, joy, and delight, to let Jesus' incredibly compelling vision of who God is give shape to who we become. Think back to our little activity at the start, where we were breathing. You have to inhale to exhale, and vice versa, right? You can't breathe life out if you haven't been breathing life in. And also, if you've breathed life in, it's meant to be breathed out. You can't just be holding on to it. A life where we are breathing God's spirit and speaking his truth into the world requires you to breathe in consistently by being in his presence. Okay? And secondly, vulnerability. Vulnerability. So first thing is consistency, and the second thing is vulnerability. I'm going to keep this point quite short, but I feel for some of you, whether it's your first time here or if you've been following along in this series, you felt really burdened by unbelief. And that we've, ta- as we've talked about the Holy Spirit in various ways and how it works um, and how it's moved, You felt apathetic, or numb, or disinterested, and you thought, this is a nice idea, but it's not for me. You've seen it resonate with people around you, but you're really struggling to believe that you could be filled with the spirit, or know the spirit, or that the spirit can work maybe in a particularly messy part of your life. And I feel for that person or people, there's lots of a shame attached to that. There's lots of shame attached. And I just want you to know that the Holy Spirit um, does not condemn. That shame isn't from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts, so it prompts us to change, but it doesn't condemn. The first thing that the Spirit does when it breathes life, whatever you want to interpret that like tohu vavohu situation as, whether you think it's nothingness, like a void, maybe you're feeling numbness, or chaos and disorder, um, God created order and beauty among it, whatever it is. So if he can do that with the earth that he created, he most certainly can do that in your own context, no matter how overwhelming you think it is. And and when Jesus uh, breathes on the disciples twice, he says, peace be with you, right? That's not an accident. He says it twice, peace be with you. So the Holy Spirit is made to work in chaos. It's meant to bring peace into chaos. Right after the text we focused on this morning, straight after John 20, this happens. You'll know this, you'll have read it a hundred times. Jesus appears to Thomas. Thomas, sorry. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand on his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hand. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet have believed. You'll be familiar with this, right? You've probably heard this before, but I always feel really weak for Thomas. Like, he's the only one that has a negative prefix, because he's like, I think I'd need to see this for myself. Like, we have people falling asleep at Gethsemane, we have people denying Jesus three times, we have people cutting off somebody's ear, and Thomas is the only person that has, like, a negative prefix that we've assigned Um, to his name and when we read the story we always think about doubting Thomas right so we read it as a a narrative of doubt Um, and Jesus does challenge Thomas in his doubt he tells him not to but I think what we miss in this story is that it is a beautiful and intimate encounter where Thomas is honest and vulnerable in his unbelief and Jesus shows him what he needs to see And then he affirms his belief. Dallas Willard writes Let's remember that Jesus didn't leave Thomas to suffer without the blessing of faith and confidence. He gave him the evidence he required. That is typical of Jesus' approach to doubt. He responded to the honest doubters in the way he knew best, the way that would help them to move from doubt to knowledge. I wonder if that's you this morning. I think it's been a challenge to me for a while. If you want to be met in your honest doubt, and even better than moving from doubt to knowledge, um, I think that the Spirit also helps you move from doubt to experience. Because if we think of the Holy Spirit as the translator, right, it makes things that we know to be true in our head also true in our hearts as well. I'm just going to invite Dave up because I'm going to pray for us as we close, okay? But I just want to encourage you this morning, don't hide your doubt from God. Let him meet you in it and let him um, breathe new life into you. The spirit of God um, is Ruach and it recreates and restores and it wants to make order where there is chaos or where there is a void. Um... And we can do that. We can welcome that in lots of ways. But I just want to encourage you um, just to be consistent, to be continually meeting God, um, to receive his breath. Um, And I I also want to encourage you to be vulnerable as well. The also really beautiful thing about this is that Thomas did this in the presence of the other disciples. He did that as a community. So I would really encourage you, if you are in a community or you feel comfortable with the people around you, um just in your discussions uh in your prayer whether you're leaving or during the week um not only welcome god into your vulnerability but but welcome other people who you trust um who can encourage you in that in the vulnerability as well um because he can breathe life um even when it feels like he can't um and doubt shouldn't be um kind of a means of cutting god off um but it should be a window of, of letting god in and inviting him into that okay